You're listening to audio from Ascend Church. For more information about Ascend or to access more gospel-centered tools to grow as a disciple of Christ, visit ascendkc.org. Let's grab our Bibles and turn to Psalm 42. If you've looked ahead or if you just glance at the pages, you'll probably see a familiar verse or two in these psalms. But what it gives us the opportunity to do is really do something we're not good at. And that is talking directly to a difficult topic. You know, our culture typically talks around difficult topics, and unfortunately, in the church, that's often what we do as well. But, but this particular psalm and the psalm that follows focuses on the very, very difficult topic of depression. The American Psychiatric Association defines depression as this, a common and serious medical illness that negatively affects how you feel, the way you think, and how you act. We're going to put a pin in the words medical illness, and we're going to unpack that a little bit more when we study this text. But for now, I want you to look at the words before and after that phrase, and that is, it's serious. Depression is real, and it is serious. Depression impacts the way we think, the way we speak, the the way that we live. This is depression, and this is Psalms 42 and 43. Symptoms include these, feeling sad, Depressive mood, lack of pleasure or interest in previously enjoyed activities, a change in appetite, weight loss, weight gain without the commitment to a diet, lowering of energy, increasing fatigue, sleeping too much, not sleeping enough, feeling worthless, feeling guilty, experiencing difficulty thinking, concentrating, we're making decisions. And let's not be cynical about this. In fact, there are probably a lot of you who are present who might be experiencing one or more of these symptoms right now. Studies show that between 20 to 30 percent of American adults, which translates to about 52 to 78 million American adults, experiencing These symptoms have them so severe that it warrants treatment. There are four official diagnoses for depression disorders. There is clinical depression. There is dysthymic, which is low-grade depression. There is bipolar disorder and also seasonal affective disorder. I'm going to also jump over the word disorder and we'll Unpack that a bit more as we study this text. 20 to 30% experiencing this at such a level that it warrants treatment. I would submit to you that while that is a significant amount of American adults, 100% of American adults, in fact, 100% of the people in this room experience at some point in their life Depressive thoughts or emotions. 
In fact, I would move that even further. 100% of the characters in the Bible experienced depressive thoughts and emotions. Consider Job. Consider David. Consider Esther. Consider Elijah. Consider Paul. Consider Jesus. And also consider the author of this psalm. So as we study this psalm, this is going to be a relatable human being. This is going to be someone who is experiencing what 100% of us have, are, or will experience. And so there is value in studying this, not just for the purpose of recognizing it's the Bible, but also because of the tremendous relevance for you and for me. And I want you to see what it provides for us. Notice the big idea in your notes. Depression is real. And our Creator has provided in these Psalms exactly what we need so that we can have victory and not be defeated. Oh, friend, is that not a hopeful big idea? It warrants some further explanation. That's what we're going to find in our time together. Let me read Psalm 42 and 43. Beginning in the title, to the choir master, a mascal of the sons of Korah. As a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. And don't worry, if you have the 1980s worship song in your head, we'll get to sing it at the end of the service. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my food day and night, while they say to me all the day long, Where is your God? These things I remember As I pour out my soul, how I would go with the throng and lead them in procession to the house of God with glad shouts and songs of praise, a multitude keeping festival. Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. My soul is cast down within me. Therefore, I remember you from the land of the Jordan and of Hermon and from Mount Mazar. Deep calls to deep at the roar of your waterfalls. All your breakers and your waves have gone over me. By day, the Lord commands his steadfast love, and at night, his song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of my enemy? As with a deadly wound in my bone, the adversaries taunt me while they say to me all day long, where is your God? Why are you cast down, O my soul? Why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. Vindicate me, O God, and defend my cause against an ungodly people from the deceitful and unjust man. Deliver me. You are the God in whom I take refuge. Why have you rejected me? Why do I go about mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? Send out your light and your truth. Let them lead me. Let them bring me to your holy hill and to your dwelling. Then I will go to the altar of God. To God, my exceeding joy, and I will praise you with the lyre, O oh my God. 
Oh God, why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God. For I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. There are actually in these two psalms four steps for us to be able to gain victory over depression and not be defeated by it. They are in the text. I would encourage you as I'm unpacking this, look for nuggets. We are going to pick the the meat off the bones of these two psalms. And then we're going to illustrate it to recognize that there is practical relevance. And then we will give application that will give us an opportunity to act on what we have learned. The first step for us to navigate depression to the pathway of victory is we must select the right lenses. Select the right lenses. Look at the beginning of Psalm 42. In fact, right above it, it says in all caps in most of your English Bibles, book two. This reminds us that the entire book of Psalms, all 150 Psalms, are intended to be compiled together for a particular purpose. They are intended to be a complete thought. They are intended to be themes that are developed, not only by the authors of each individual Psalm, but also the compilers of the entire book. And just as book one of Psalm had two Psalms that opened up as the foundation for the entire book, so book two. And so Psalm 42 and 43 are the foundation for book two, and they actually tie back to the foundation of book one. I also want you to notice the title, and I have presented to you throughout this summer of Psalms that I believe the titles of the Psalms are actually inspired by the Holy Spirit. I believe they are intentional, they they are important, and they actually drive our understanding of the Psalms, and this title is no different. In fact, this title is especially unique. Look at what it says. It says, to the choir master. The choir master was the individual responsible for being up front before the congregation, the individual that would craft the worship set, the individual who by his very presentation and leading of worship was modeling what true worship was intended to look like. So this psalm is intended to be given to the choir master. But then it also says a maskil. A maskil means to have insight to know how to reach one's aims and secure at reaching them, and thus be justified as a wise man. So what that does for us is recognize this is not just a psalm that's intended to compete to be our favorite. The psalm is not just intended to give a verse or two that look good on a coffee mug or a cross-stitch. These psalms are intended to intentionally instruct, to intentionally convey theology for the purpose of understanding so that as we understand and then apply them, people will say that is a wise person. And then look at the next section of the title. It says, of the sons of Korah. The sons of Korah are prevalent all throughout the Old Testament. They're introduced to us in the first five books of the Bible as the doorkeepers of the tent of meeting of the tabernacle and of the temple. They also occur in the Old Testament as 
incredibly skilled warriors, and then by the time of David, they were known as exceptionally skilled musicians as well as exceptionally skilled theologians, which it was as rare then as it is now. I got to tell you, as you look at much of the worship music that's being produced in our day, it is a mile wide and an inch deep. It is very difficult to find worship music that is intended to be both excellent musically and deep theologically. The Maskell and the Sons of Korah were brilliant in producing that. So what is Psalm 42 and 43? Here's a sentence based on this title. It is a son of Korah writing skillfully a song intended to teach worshipers what they need to gain victory over depression. You see how important the title of the psalm is? That sets the stage, and so now we get to see what this son of Korah is imploring us to take on as right lenses. He says in verse 1, as a deer pants for flowing streams, and we need to immerse ourselves in the historical context. Here's some pictures I'll put up on the screen. These are pictures that if you've been to Israel, you know on the left depict the typical climate, the typical geography of Israel. There's a lot of browns. There's not a whole lot of lush vegetation. It is a very arid climate. The Hebrew term for deer that we see in verse 1 is a unique description of a deer that was a valley dweller, a deer that would not be able to survive in an arid climate. In fact, History tells us that the last time this particular deer was seen in Israel was World War I. And so the cards are stacked against this type of deer. And so instinctively, this deer knows that in order for it to survive, it must find a place where there aren't just puddles. There's actually an enduring and, and clean source of water. And that's the picture on the right. This is the Spring of Gideon, if you're familiar with that story in Judges. Gideon was assembling an army, and one of the things God told Gideon to do to whittle it down to the size God wanted is to have the soldiers kneel down at a flowing, crystal clear water source, which is this, and to be able to drink from it. So this deer, historically speaking, would instinctively be looking for a place that was a source of water, a a deep reservoir of water, something that would not quickly dry up, that was clean, that was refreshing, that was nutritious. And so the psalmist uses that as the illustration to explain how we get to a place where we have the proper lenses through which to view depression. Lenses are important. In fact, I'm a huge fan of certain types of lenses, Oakley sunglasses. I love Oakleys. I collect Oakleys. They are the best. The technology is incredible. My wife, for one of my birthdays when we were in, I was in seminary in L.A., took me on a tour of the Oakley factory. Mind blown. So I took one of my favorite pairs to Europe on our epic trip. And through international flights and running after Italian trains, being a dad Sherpa, and being in Europe in a hundred-year hot streak, you can imagine my Oakley sunglasses fell off lots of times and scratched and scratched and scratched. 
So there were several times throughout the trip, even though the technology was amazing, even though they were my favorite, that I had to actually take off these lenses in order to see clearly. And beloved, that's what I want to convey to you is our task this morning as Christians. Because the lenses of our society through which we are implored to see depression, in fact, the lenses through which science and medicine tells us to see depression are scratched. And unfortunately, we have come to conclusion, even as Christians, about depression, that somehow it is our identity and it excuses unbiblical thinking, speaking, and behavior. Let me stay in this modern context and submit to you that I told you we would put a pin in some descriptions of illness, disease, disorder, and I want to come back to that right now. By the very nature of the definition of a disease or disorder, it requires that there is a measurable, verifiable dysfunction of the human body. That's important. Beloved, listen, this this is a medical reality that if you are going to have a disorder or a disease, there must be some verifiable and measurable process to arrive at a conclusion that somehow your body has a dysfunction. And yet, as I mentioned, these four diagnoses of depressive disorders, we find that there is actually not a verifiable test and a measurable test that objectively shows a dysfunction in our bodies. People would say, well, aren't there chemical imbalances? Listen to this quote. At this point... There is no definitive way of knowing whether or not there is an underlying biological problem. There is no medical test that can demonstrate a chemical imbalance. That is from Ed Welch in the Journal of Biblical Counseling in the year 2000. And you may say, well, this is 23 years later, Pastor. Listen to what I read on verywellhealth.com. August 3rd. Dated 2023, there is no medical test that can demonstrate a chemical imbalance. Our lenses are scratched. We are drawing conclusions. We might even have in this room diagnoses that somehow there is a physical dysfunction in our body that is not actually based on verifiable science. Now, before you run to conclusions and turn off your attention Let me hasten to say there is value in these diagnoses. The value is this, that it does well summarize symptoms. It does well summarize real experiences that we have in our lives. But listen, most of these diagnoses are actually based on the DSM-5. If you're not familiar with the DSM-5, it is the diagnostic and statistical manual of mental disorders that actually become the standard by which these diagnoses are established. And so instead of scans and tests being produced, it's actually answers to questions that result in these diagnoses. Beloved, listen, that is not a medical or a science defensible conclusion that there is a dysfunction in our bodies. Our lenses are scratched. 
Now, the fact is, we must acknowledge that these are real, and we'll get to that as we unpack this psalm. But my purpose in sharing this with you is just to scratch the surface to confront what most of us assume is true. What so much of what we hear from the news, so much of what we read on the internet speaks as fact something that the Bible says is not true. And while these diagnoses are valid summaries of symptoms, listen to this, they do not excuse unbiblical thinking, speaking, or behavior. And listen to this, they are not your identity. They may summarize your reality, but the Bible blows through that and gives you what you need to acknowledge their reality and to gain victory. Now, how do I see that in the text? Well, it's what the psalmist says, so my soul pants for you, O Elohim. I say that Hebrew term because what he says next is a clue to us what the right lenses are. It says in the Hebrew for the living El. Now, why does he use Elohim and then El? And I think there's an ancient context that the original readers would have understood, and that is the term El was the generic term for the gods of the nations. Everybody had their El. The Canaanites had their El, Baal. The Egyptians had their El, Ra. And so many of these nations had multiple L's. And what the son of Korah is doing here is drawing the attention of the reader to the uniqueness of our God. He is the living God. He is the creator God. He is the sustainer God. He is the sovereign God. He is the gracious God, the merciful God, the compassionate God. He is the God of all gods, the God Almighty. And so what this does is draw our attention to the lens, and the lens is the character of God. Then he also, in his illustration, ties us back to the other component to our lens that was established by a similar analogy back in Psalm 1-3. He will be like a tree planted by what? Streams of water. The psalmist in Psalm 42 is using the water analogy to draw the attention of the reader back to Psalm 1 to help us understand that the lens that we must choose to see depression through is also the truths of the Word of God. Well, friends, this is a difficult topic, but this is the foundation to the pathway to victory, and that is select the right lenses. Number two, stay on target. Stay on target. The psalmist begins to unpack his reality, the forces that are competing with his joy, the forces that are moving him to tears. Verse 3, my tears have been my food day and night. My tears are asking cynically all day and night, where is your God? What is it ultimately that is the context of the son of Korah that is causing these tears? Verse 4 tells us that. These things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I would long to go with this throng. The psalmist is acknowledging here, and then we'll provide more detail to help us understand that, that the context of his life is he's not where he should be. 
He's not doing what he should be doing. He's not doing what God has designed him to do. He's not doing the good thing that he longs to do. He longs to be at the doorway of the temple, leading the people in worship, being with other believers, being in the dwelling place of God, and yet somehow, through God's ordaining and through his experience, he finds himself far away and is producing tears in his life, and we can understand why. Beloved, there are sources in your life competing for your joy, and there are sources in your life, past, present, and probably future, that will contribute to depressive thoughts and emotions. The psalmist acknowledges that. I remember Star Wars A New Hope, one of my favorite movies. There's a scene in it where the X-wing fighters and the Y-wing fighters enter into a trench on the Death Star. I mean, it's amazing for a 1977 movie. And they're all coming in, and as soon as they hit the trench, they're, they're going down the trench. And what, what the trench's purpose was is there's this little hole of vulnerability for the Death Star, this massive planet-looking star that can blow up an entire planet. There, there is one source of vulnerability, and it's through this trench. And so the X-wing fighters are going, and the Y-wing fighters are going, and they're, all of a sudden they enter the trench, and there's these cannons firing at them. There's these enemy aircraft firing at them. There's, there's walls that if they get too close, they'll run into them and they'll explode. And then, oh yeah, then there's Darth Vader. And one by one, they explode. One by one, they're picked off. One by one, Vader destroys them until there's three left. And the three that are left are facing all of these attacks and all of these variables. And one of them says, I can't shake him. You have to ignore That was pretty good for those of you who have seen him. And the rogue leader is out in front. And what does he say to these other two? Stay on target. That's what the son of Korah is telling us. It's what he's telling his mind. It's what he's telling his heart. He's acknowledging there are cannons. There are close walls. Vader is there. Not really, but... And he's telling his heart, he's telling his mind, because that's where the battleground of depression is waged. He says in verse 5, why are you cast down, O my soul? It's not as though he's asking, saying there's no reason to be cast down. It's not as though he's denying his reality. What he's doing is he's educating his mind and heart. And he's saying, stay on target. Hope in Verse 4, these things I remember. Verse 5, I'm longing for God to be my salvation, not my circumstances. That's gold. When we're in depression, don't we often have as a temptation that if only our circumstances would change, if only God would intervene and exercise justice, we would be saved, and yet the psalmist is instructing his heart and his mind, if I can just have God, I will be saved. Beloved, here is the target that we must stay on. The target is a rehearsal of the character of God through a daily dependence on the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's the target. That is the small hole of vulnerability of the death star of depression in our lives. 
And so we're in the trench. We are, we, are, we are facing our fears. We're facing our past. We're facing our present reality and the potential that our context will never change. And the psalmist is telling himself, and by extension us, stay on target. And this is what all of the characters of the Bible who experienced depression were told. Consider Job for 30-some chapters. He's trying to figure out why is he depressed? Why are his circumstances this way? And how does God respond? My character. David writes so many psalms where he's experiencing depression. And as you see the circumstances, rightly so. And yet what does he do in psalm after psalm? God's character. Esther, when the whole Israel ethnic nation is facing extinction, what does she do? Tells Mordecai to fast. Focus on the character of God. Paul, Philippians 4, verse 8 and 9. When you're experiencing anxiety, when you're experiencing depression, focus on what is true. What is true? The character of God. Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, when he was facing depression and focusing on not wanting to proceed with the crucifixion that was before him, how does he get through that? The character of his Father. You see the consistency. Stay on target. And so, beloved, when it comes to the very difficult topic of depression. The foundation is select the right lenses, but then second of all, stay on target. I have to admit, I often just stay with number one and two. That's enough for me, and I'm like, all right, let's do this. No motion. Just keep going forward. But the mask will continues, doesn't it? Which brings us to number three, share your reality. Share your reality. And I have to tell you, as I read this, it kind of sounded a little whiny. Verse 3, my tears, they're my food day and night. Verse 6, he doesn't ask the question. He actually declares, verse 6, my my soul is downcast. Verse 6, I remember you, but look at what he says very quickly in verse 6. From the Jordan, from Hermon, from Mount Mazar. As you look at these on a map, you realize he's far away from Jerusalem. And so it's almost like he's saying, God, look, I'm supposed to be there, but I'm here. He is sharing his reality. Verse 9, why have you forgotten me? We'll put a pin in that and come back to it. Verse 9, I'm mourning. My oppressors are with me day and night. Verse 10, I have recurring pain. It's a deadly wound in my bones. Verse 10, my adversaries are taunting me day and night. And it's as though they are saying, he says here, aren't you supposed to be in Jerusalem? What does this tell you about your God? Which, by the way, those of us who have experienced intense depression, doesn't it seem like it's not just our circumstances that contribute? It's also the people in our life. So painful. And this guy has valid reasons to be experiencing thoughts and feelings of depressions, and so do all of you. whether it's abuse from your past, whether it's good circumstances that you don't have, and it seems like your life is the exact opposite, whether you want to be generous, but you're just trying to make ends meet, we all have reasons in our lives to experience feelings and thoughts of depression. The psalmist is providing for us 
an example of something that I often overlook. I, I shared with you last week that I'm reading a book called Dark Clouds, Deep Mercies. It's instructing the reader on a tool that I had never really considered. It's the biblical tool of lament. And in fact, I just listened to the July 16th message preached here by Micah Mathis. If you weren't here or you want to dig into this more, please listen to that. He walks through Psalm 77, which is one of the best psalms to instruct biblical lament. But what biblical lament is, is that when you're going through a difficult time, you first of all turn vertical, you second of all reflect on the character of God, but then you share your reality. I don't like to do that because I I feel like it shows weakness. I'm worried that it'll turn into whining, and yet the author here models it so beautifully. And so do other authors of Scripture. In fact, Habakkuk is one of my favorite books of the Bible. Habakkuk models lament. He's in a situation where he's been preaching to Judah, and the people don't just not respond. That's horrible English, but I think you get the point. They actually double down, and they actually become more rebellious. And so Habakkuk is, is mourning over this. He's depressed over this, and he asks questions of God, and he makes statements about his reality, and he, he shares it, and, and so does the author of Psalm 42. Look at verse 7. Deep calls to deep. With the roar of your waterfalls, all your breakers and your waves have gone over me, which that, that last phrase is almost exactly verbatim what Jonah says in Jonah 2.3, when he's in the belly of the fish. So if you connect those two uses, you understand that what the psalmist is saying here is he's actually speaking with humility for the purpose of aligning his will with God's. Friends, that is the goal of sharing our reality. That is the goal. In fact, they'll put a quote up on the screen. It is honestly sharing for the purpose of aligning with God's will. So, So we're not just whining. Whining is drawing attention to me. Whining is somehow trying to manipulate the other person to change my circumstances. This is not whining, but it is sharing reality. And it's sharing reality for the purpose of aligning our understanding with God's will. You see that by what he says in verse 8. By day, the Lord commands his steadfast love, or chesed, and at night his song is with me. And what he's doing by the day-night analogy is drawing the attention of the reader back to the exodus. That when Israel was going through the wilderness wanderings and they had reasons to be depressed that God in the day provided a cloud and at night provided the fire to remind them of his character and that would have been and should have been enough. But then he says in verse 9, I say to God, my rock. So even if his emotions hadn't caught up, he's trying to instruct his emotions with the reality that whether I see it or I feel it, God is my rock. So as the waves are crashing, and I'm acknowledging the waves are crashing, my my life has been difficult, my life is difficult, the prospects of my life are that the difficulties will never change, but God, you're my rock. I'm going to say it, and I hope I'm going to believe it. And then, I told you we'd put a pin on this, and we would come back to it. He says in verse 9, why have you forgotten me? But in the Hebrew, it literally says, why have you seemingly forgotten me? 
So, so even in his question, he's thinking theologically, I know my rock will not fail me. I know my rock will not forsake me. It sure appears that way. So you can even see in this, as he's sharing his reality, he's wrestling with biblical truth. And so here it is. The exercise of genuinely sharing our reality with God with the purpose of aligning our will with his has a spiritually therapeutic effect on our depression. That's gold. Greater than any other therapy that the world has to offer. Greater than any other solution that medicine or science tells you is the solution for your depression is to share your reality in this way. And I promise you, from the examples of the depressed people in Scripture, I promise you based on the character of God, and I promise you in the experience of my own life, that if you will share your reality with God for the purpose of aligning your will with His, it will have a spiritually therapeutic effect on your depression. It won't change your circumstances. My daughter is still going to college next Friday. And I know you laugh, but I've had tears. I miss her. My family is my greatest treasure this side of eternity, and it's going to be changed. So sharing this with God won't change those circumstances. But it is spiritually therapeutic. It impacts my depression. Friends, let's not just stay with the right lenses and staying on target. Let's share our reality with God. I can't even look at her right now. <laughs> but then it brings us to number four. Seek the right help. Seek the right help. That's the result of biblical lament. We turn our focus vertically. We reflect on the character of God. We share our reality. But then we act. We we seek help. And it's right here in the text. Three ways I would encourage you to consider processing and then applying in your life. Number one, instruct yourself with biblical truth. Instruct yourself with biblical truth. There's a reason why the Bible constantly confronts our depression with the character of God, with the instruction to return us to his word and that's what the psalmist does in verse 5 verse 11 and then he does again in 43 verse 5 what does he do in these three verses he says hope in god Hope in the God of the universe. Hope in the unique, almighty God. The God who is above every God. It's the God of Scripture. Not the God of our compilation. Not the God of our religion. Not the God of our tradition. The God of Scripture. And listen, He is a mighty God that we will never plumb the depths of. But He invites us to try. And then look what he says, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. And while he has hope that that means one day he'll be back in Jerusalem, one day he'll be able to play the lyre, which is a stringed in instrument, not an attorney. No, just kidding. I've got I've to lighten this up. He's hopeful that he'll be back where he needs to be, where he should be, where he believes God wants him to be. But look at what he says. 
You are my salvation, my God. What he's doing here is he's speaking biblical truth over him that even though the psalmist could not have fully comprehended what he actually, what that meant, he understood that God was enough, that the presence of God is enough. And even if circumstances don't change, one day, true salvation will occur. One day, what we were designed to be satisfied by will be our reality. And maybe that's today the down payment of being in a place where you can be generous, being in a place where you do have health, being in a place where you can serve and be served in the body of Christ. But regardless of your present circumstances or future circumstances, we know in the New Jerusalem, as we've been studying in Revelation, everything will be complete. Let that be your hope. Let that instruct your depression. Number two, invite the supernatural intervention of God. This God owns the cattle on the thousand hills. This God knit you. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. God raises kings and lowers kings. Start praying for the presidential election for next year if you haven't started. Because whatever happens, we know beyond a shadow of a doubt is God's sovereign plan We have the privilege of participating. But we call on the almighty, supernatural God to intervene. Look at verse 1 of Psalm 43. Vindicate me, O God. Defend my cause against an ungodly people. From the deceitful and unjust man, deliver me. He says, then I will be back in your holy hill. I'm asking you, get me back there. Even though I'm not able to achieve that, even though all of the circumstances in my life point to the fact that that's impossible, I'm asking you, supernatural God, to intervene. And that's okay. That's invited by God. It's right here in the text. When you're in times of depression, instruct yourself with biblical truth. Invite supernatural intervention. And then number three, invite the engagement of biblical soul care. We have a ministry here at Ascend that we call Soul Care. And they may sound foreign to you if you're relatively new to our church, but biblical soul care is an attempt for us to summarize what the church should be. Yes, there is a counseling component to biblical soul care, and many of you have availed yourself of that, and many of you are getting trained up, and let me just invite you to join us, to partner in this. One of the greatest ways you will grow in your theology, and your handling of scripture, and your ability to live out the Christian life is to get trained as a counselor. But soul care isn't just limited to the wobbling of wheels or the falling off of wheels of our lives. It's every activity that we participate in as a local church. It's building up one another. It's using our gifts and talents. It's seeing lost people saved, saved people matured, mature people multiplied all to the glory of God. And, and we actually see that in Psalm 42 and 43. Look at verse 3 of Psalm 43. Send out your light and your truth and let them lead me. And, and when we take these concepts and move them into a New Testament context, we see that these are often referring to the local church. Then the whole point of Psalm 42 and 43 is the son of Korah longing to be in the community of believers. Longing to be in the Old Testament concept of the church and we in the New Testament have the opportunity and the privilege to engage with the fully developed concept of the church. 
Friends, invite the engagement of biblical soul care. So, so how do we do this? Well, this is now your opportunity. I'm going to give you four ways that you can apply what you've just learned to be able to assault depression in our lives so that we can get to a path and a place of victory and not defeat. Four ways. Number one, I'm going to invite every one of you in just a moment to pray at your seats. If what I said is true, and 100% of us have, are, or will experience thoughts and emotions of depression, then this is applicable for us. So I want you to pray over these four steps. Selecting the right lenses, staying on target, sharing our reality. And then, seeking the right help. I want you to pray over that, and then I want you to pray that the Holy Spirit will give you courage to take one of three additional steps. The additional steps are we are going to have members of our prayer team and our soul care coaches and advocates, they're even taking their place right now, standing up here after the service. They're going to have lanyards on. People are going to be doing their thing. But listen, if you have the courage to take it beyond self-prayer and to just ask one of these people who are willing to pray with you, just to pray over you, that's a step of courage. Would you ask the Holy Spirit to give you the courage to be able to take that step? So easy for us to just be tempted to keep this inside. Proverbs 18.1 says, he who isolates himself is a fool. Would you take the step of courage and just ask somebody to pray over you? Whether you have, are, or anticipate experiencing depression, Just have somebody pray over you. Another step of action is out at the table next to our book and resource center, there is a table that is focused on resources of depression. In fact, this is one pamphlet that any one of you can take for free. It's very small, and we will put this in your hands for free. And maybe I've brought some topics to you about depression that challenge some of your sacred cows. Some of you might have studied the science of depression, or even had a diagnosis that I've referred to. And you might say, well, I disagree with you, Pastor, but I'm willing to have the courage to study it a little bit more. There's resources out there, and we do have prices on the back, and there's an iPad, you can make the payment, but listen, don't let that stop you. If you need help financially and you're just in one of those seasons of life, just drop your name off at the Info Center, let us know which book you're taking and we'll just make sure that's taken care of. But then another step of action is this one's going to challenge you. Maybe it's not as much a challenge for you to pray and you'll do that. Praise God for that. Maybe you're willing to read a book and study a little bit more and and I know that takes courage. but, But this one is investing in something we call freedom groups. It's multiple weeks where you will have trained leaders pouring into you along with others who want to grow in your ability to understand what the Bible says and how you apply that to challenges like depression. But you will take the opportunity, and there's QR codes up here to say, listen, I, I am, I'm not ashamed. I, I don't view depression as something to be ashamed about. You shouldn't. The son of Korah was. Jesus was. 
You know what? I acknowledge I need help. And I, I would see a blessing in being able to be with trained people, being able to be vulnerable, being able to have them listen, being able to get some biblical truth so that when I come out of this, I guarantee you will have more tools to be able to not just help yourself, but others who experience depression. Will you sign up for one of these? We have a men's and two for women. So take this little time of prayer, go through the four steps, Invite the Holy Spirit to give you the courage to take these extra steps. And may it be said of a sin that we're not ashamed to talk about depression. We're not ashamed to even say we experience depression. But we are going to make sure we have the right lenses, that we stay on target, that we share our reality, and that we select resources that will see us and those that we live with become more like Christ even in these difficult topics. Would you pray at your seats?